and gentlemen, welcome to Eat, Sleep, Suplex, Retweet. Welcome everyone to another edition of Eat, Sleep, Suplex, Retweet. My name is Chris Murray and oh boy, what a topic we have for you today. Me and my illustrious panel sit down in front of you to debate the best and worst TNA Impact Champions of all time. Before I introduce you to my band of merry men, quick reminder, you can grab all of our past episodes on Spotify and check out all of our beautiful videos over on YouTube. Just search Eat Sleep Suplex Retweet. Each of today's master debaters is very much their own TNA Impact Champion. And allow me to introduce you. On one side, we have former TNA World Tag Team Champion Crimson. Now he's physically dominant. He achieved a 470-day undefeated streak but is criminally underpushed and somehow never held a top title. You know him better as Alan McLucas. Hey, that's a random one. Uh, I've made you all champions um, for for I mean, this I intro. Become, you know, ESSR champion. Exactly, you know, exactly. Yeah. I love it. I love it. Uh, okay, on the other side, joining him, we have former Triple Crown and Grand Slam champion Austin Aries. He successfully used his skill set to move up the card and onto better things, but quickly floundered as a small fish in a big pond. Now people cringe every time he speaks online as he plugs away in obscurity. You know him better as Stephen Wilson. Ah, damn it. Why did I need to be Austin Aries? Ah, <laughs> I really wanted like an, an ex-division champion who'd like gone on to better things. And I was like, oh, Austin Aries. And then I went on Wikipedia and I was like, oh yeah, I forgot about all of those bad things he did. And I was like, yeah, it, it, it fits with Steven skimming somehow. <laughs> but ah, yes, geez. my last guest is former TNA knockouts tag team champion, Lacey Von Erich. <laughs> A huge yeah. name in the sport. This person was sadly overshadowed by their family connections from day one. They've now left the business, bitter and spiteful of those who share their name. It's Scott McLeod. That's the business. I want to leave this podcast after that introduction. <laughs> like, you know, I thought like, oh, I'll say did a lot, but I thought, I don't want to be compared to that. <laughs> and then you you just hear and thought, oh, good, I've always developed. And I thought, oh, God, he's going to give me someone worse. He gave me the worst one. <laughs> I thought we were friends, Murray. <laughs> I, 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 here's the thing, right? I think Lacey Von Eric is really cool. <laughs> I was watching footage of her recently. She, I, I say recently, before the world fell apart. She was at some sort of like WrestleCon event and she just brought like 80 beers with her um, and was <laughs> stoning about the tables and uh, didn't know any of the wrestlers because she's so out of the business and was just like handing out beers to people like, Virgil being like, Oh, are, are you a wrestler? Like, <laughs> here, I have a beer. I was like, She seems she just seems quite sound. Why do these stories always revolve around Virgil? <laughs> they always do without fail, without fail. So, um, right, that's my panel. Thank you all for joining me, right? And I feel like we have to sort of set the parameters here because Impact TNA GFW has had many awful, awful names. So just for the benefit of what we're talking here, we're going to talk every NWA TNA champion, beginning with Ken Shamrock in June 2002, 
through to Kurt Angle when he moved from being NWA champion to TNA world champion in 2007. And then every TNA, GFW, Impact Wrestling, Impact Unified, Impact Global champion since then. That's who you've got to pick from. Does that make sense? Yes. Oh. <laughs> Excellent. So Play that got... again. <laughs> Please don't make me. Uh, there have been 52 reigns among 29 wrestlers in the TNA lineage, plus the other 10 guys who won the belt under the NWA TNA banner. My God, it sounds all very confusing. But that's when you what you get when you listen to a best of TNA podcast. Um, we're we're going to start with Alan because we're going to nicely tie into what I think was last week's show. Who is your best ever TNA champion? For the benefit of this show, I'm just going to say TNA champion from now on. Uh, the best ever is who I said was the best ever last week on the AJ Styles show. AJ Styles was the best ever TNA heavyweight champion of all time. He is TNA, Mr. TNA. WWE has probably Shawn Michaels as Mr. WWE. TNA is AJ Styles. He is the guy. Um, first triple crown, I believe. Grand Slam champion. He won the NWE title. He won the TNA title. He had the longest reigning TNA run. Uh, I know it's now been passed, but at one point, for 211 days. And he was the guy who ended Sting's undefeated streak. That's just starting at the bare basics. The guy was absolutely brilliant in his run and still is brilliant to this day. Perfect. Like like I, like I said just before we came on, I was like, Alan, you need to somehow sum up him as a champion after us speaking about him at such length last week. And yeah, you've done that. I mean, he's, he, he fought everyone for that belt. Do you have any like favorite, not matches specifically, but feuds over the top? belt and TNA that AJ had? He had a few. It's one with Sting were good. Um, Small Joe uh, Daniels was good as well. But I'd probably say the one with Joe because it just seemed obviously kayfabe and that, but it had a bit of realism to it and it was just really intriguing and exciting because Joe was this machine, had this huge undefeated streak and now Styles was this wee man uh, outmaneuvering him outplaying him and beating him, you know, and not just that, but just the storytelling involved in the matches. The matches were all absolute quality, as we discussed in the show last week. The AJ Styles, Daniels and Joe match is the greatest match in TNA history. The chemistry the three of them have with each other. So, you know, that rivalry for me is pinnacle TNA for me, for AJ. But not to forget also as well, he had the good run as well, uh, being the guy also dethroned Bully Ray, but you know, that's another conversation because <laughs> that was not a good time in TNA. But he was a guy who sort of dethroned the aces and eights as well. Yep, <laughs> remember that storyline with AJ's like, Oh no, but he's not a contracted wrestler, and then that became real life. And then AJ was all of a sudden in New Japan. Oh man, we spoke about our collective anger about that. <laughs> but get so I was thinking about this, right? And, and just how to properly sum up how great AJ Styles was. Obviously, we did it for nearly two hours last time out. But the NWA World Heavyweight title started in 1948. It's been held by guys like Lou Thez, Killer Kowalski, Sam Martino held it for a bit, Dory Funk Jr. There isn't many names from TNA which would go like toe-to-toe with these huge names. But I think AJ is one of, if not the only guy who can stand shoulder to shoulder with these guys? Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, 
Well, I know there's a massive debate about what is the more prestigious title, the NWA or WWE. Uh, my own personal opinion is the WWE, but the NWA is not an ass-kicking offer. And, you know, we talk about those guys you mentioned, you know, Flair as well. These are legends, the guys that are pinnacle of wrestling. And AJ's up there with them. As I said before, and I stand by and I'll argue with him, he's the greatest of all time. The reason he's not included in it is because people neglect his WWE stuff. It was his TNA stuff in New Japan. They see this version of AJ in WWE, but that's not AJ in his prime. So he's more than deserving to be in that alumni of the NWA World Champion. Now, Stephen and Scott both weren't on the show with us last week. Uh, Scott, I know you watched a very similar era of TNA to me. Um, how, how would you sum up AJ Styles as a champion? This is the point where you go, no, he's the worst one ever. <laughs> yes, he's the worst one. Here's 20 reasons why. I prepared them all alphabetically. <laughs> no, I, I, I fall memories of, T, of AJ Styles as TNA world champion because I remember uh, watching on, remember it was on Bravo for a while back in the day. That was a weird time. That's where I was first picking up. But it was in weird points. It was like odd bits from like 2006, 2008 I was watching, but they were never broadcast in order. So I was getting bits of it. But then I probably started watching it on a weekly basis for a while in 2010. And that's when AJ was the champion. And I remember watching the episode where he, he dropped it to RVD. So he was one of the first proper TNA champions I remember. And he is one of the guys I obviously associate with TNA. And, you know, it's not really an issue that you don't really talk about his time as TNA World Champ on last week's show because it, it fitted nicely on this show. But also, you know, I didn't envy the guys on last week's show, you know, having to talk about such a, a long and kind of decorated career that AJ's had and still ongoing and just run about 90 or so minutes. But something people forget about AJ is that you mentioned TNA, NWA TNA. You know, he was X Division Champ and one half of the NWA Tag Champs at the same time. But in about 2003 and then once briefly in 2005, he was NWA champion. And so he's one of the few people to be NWA, TNA champion, and just the TNA world champions. We held two different versions of the belt, and he's in a very limited company to do that. Stephen, did you watch TNA around this time? And, and of course, what did you think of, of the almighty phenomenal one, AJ Styles? Yeah, I kind of started watching TNA when it was on like Bravo around about the same time as kind of Scott mentioned it was round about the time that uh, Christian came in about it, I believe. It's kind of as the best way to put it in. Uh, went back and watched loads of the clips, you know, that happened before then. And uh, AJ, AJ's run to, the, to become NWA World Champion is what makes him even more illustrious. I mean, at the beginning of 2003, he won a number one contenders match against the greatest of the Flair family, David. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I mean, well, if that was a of his day. He's currently <laughs> underrated, you know. I know. I mean, that, that was that was one year after he got buried by the Undertaker, like in a in a shower, in the lead up to WrestleMania 18. Mind that? Oh, it was crazy. It's like ah, beat up your son now, bat now face me. All right, nobody cares about David. But anyway, <laughs> I'm digressing. Uh, he also first title defense as well when he actually won the title. Dio Brown. That's crazy to think. <laughs> AJ Styles and D'Lo Brown, one-on-one -on -one in the middle of the ring, you know. But no, and all, joking aside, Alan and Scott kind of went through all the illustrious achievements that he's had. I mean, I think I remember when he won first reign with the TNA world belt, mm -hmm. uh, where he wins like a five-way match because he's kind of, 
down on himself and this is the point when he gets motivated by Sting you know Tony Khan really loved that angle he couldn't doing it with Darby Allen very well uh, so I were, it was quite I was fond of that it was just a different style to him but the fact that he has all these great matches with everybody it's just I don't think you could talk in this show without mentioning him in some respect because he was the original guy that they built from scratch in some way a lot of the other main guys to have won the TNA belt multiple times, all quite associated with WWE or like the WCW before him, but AJ was the first homegrown guy, and you can't say best TNA champs without mentioning him. Actually, when you think about it, you know, he's 2013, Ray, and he was, most of it, he was technically not under contract. He's 2010, Ray, and you know, people have their issues with it because he was, you know, with Ric Flair at the time, and then the NWA reigns were brief. I don't think AJ Styles needed to have a long reign as TNA champion. You really think of it because he's one of these rare times where somebody's clearly one of the faces of a company without needing to be the world champion. And AJ was that guy in TNA. He would always he could always be a challenger when he wasn't the champion, but he was obviously the top guy no matter who one of the top guys no matter who the champion was. Absolutely. And if you want to hear more of us just absolutely lapping up how good AJ Styles is. Please go back and listen to last week's show. I, Alan, after we got off air, you, you were just like, I don't think I've ever done a show before. We all just sit and agree for the whole time. Yeah, the whole thing I've been this pod, I've never heard everyone just totally agree with every single point on a show. Like, there were points you made, and I'm like, I forgot to mention that. My God, he's so right with that. There was not one point I said anyone talking, and I thought, nah, no way in it. Like, everything was like, I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Stark said it as well. It's just there was, the problem being was it was, wasn't enough time to get everything in that we wanted. And as Scott kind of alluded to there, nine minutes isn't enough to do a career profile on AJ Styles. Mm, agreed, agreed. Yeah, so definitely go back and listen to that episode. Right, we've got the agreeing out of the way. Who'd have thunk it? Four wrestling fans like AJ Styles. Um, it's time now to diverge and debate um, all of the other picks we've got. I'm going to attempt to do them chronologically. So I'm now going to go to Stephen. And Stephen, before you tell me why, tell me who you've picked as the best ever TNA Impact champion. Yes, I've picked the most beautiful man to ever pull off a cagoule in a rainy WrestleMania <laughs> show. <laughs> I'm going with Samoa Joe. Uh, where else could you go? I mean, if you take out AJ Styles and you want to sort of sum up TNA, I think that Samoa Joe is one of the names that you have to get in there. He was only TNA World Heavyweight Champion one time, and then I can't quite remember. Did he ever hold the NWA belt? Can't quite remember. But um, yeah, he had he held that top title uh, just the once, and um, he won it off of Kurt Angle. Uh, lockdown in April 2008 if you haven't seen that pay-per-view what are you doing why are you listening to us go away and do your research uh, and of course he lost it to Sting at Bound for Glory 6 8 IV <laughs> whatever one that is the one that was in 2008 so um, yeah Stephen why did you pick Samoa Joe well as I kind of alluded to with a lot of the guys you know especially the TNA version of the belt that held it before him uh, well there was only Two held the TNA version before him. Uh, big names before they come into, you know, the company. You're looking at Kurt Angle, Sting. Even if you look at the NWA version of the belt, Jeff Jarrett was a bit was a big name beforehand. Ken Shamrock, you know, first champion, but he was a big name. One name that springs to mind. But 
aside from AJ, Samoa Joe was the one get as a guy who, even though he did a lot in Ring of Honor, let's not discredit Ring of Honor on this one, but you come into this kind of company with a bit more of a mainstream presence in Ring of Honor because of the names associated with it, the likes of Jarrett, Sting, etc. So for him to come in, as that relative unknown, but then build himself steamroll momentum. I've never seen a man build so much momentum in that length of time than Joe did when he initially came into the company. And it was just how he would build his way up to the title. X Division completed it, you know, to quote them between us. Uh, Cut Angle feud, you know, one of the best feuds in wrestling history. I think it's the best feud in TNA history, the Kurt Angle uh, Samoa Joe feud. And that was the way it kind of enticed and it tangled itself into the actual way of Joe winning the title. It was the kind of, they brought back into that feud with Angle and it was for him to eventually get one over on Angle when he wins the title. Don't like how they did a stipulation to it with the kind of career, title versus career. Never like it because it always feels like a foregone conclusion it's going to win. Worst example of it was in 2003 where they did it with Triple H and Goldberg. It's like, oh, Goldberg's won that belt now. I'm not just going to get rid of him, even though he leaves six months later. Yeah. Uh, many people, and in terms of the actual reign itself, it's the fact that it's one reign, it was 182 days, which was one of the long, which was the longest in the TNA lineage at that point in time until Sting shortly beat it and then AJ and Bobby Roode beats it. But some of the some of the wins he gets in his reign is what helps me establish it. One of the no, was he wins the King of the Mountain match. To my memory, the King of the Mountain match, the champion really didn't never really got a win in the King of the Mountain match very much. I may be wrong in that one, but from memory didn't win that. So for him to win that was a big deal. Going through all the feuds, he had Kurt Angle, Scott Steiner, Booker T. He was beat he beat big names to still establish himself as the champion. So for him never to win it again, I think it maybe brings it down a wee bit in a lot of people's eyes, but I just still think the journey he went on to get to that point and what he did when he had it uh, established him as a great champion in TNA. Yeah, one million percent. I, I, I love looking back on Samoa Joe's career because um, like I was watching TNA at the time when he came in, I feel like he came in like and was just huge and he felt unstoppable for a good wee while and um they put him against angle and i think there was very few people in the company that could have stood toe-to-toe with angle at that time i don't think aj could have properly pulled it off because it became more of like a physically dominant feud if you go back and watch that lockdown match it feels like a proper like you know almost mma style fight Mm -hmm. and um yeah it's criminal that he didn't get another run or multiple other runs with the belt in TNA. But Alan, were you a fan of uh, Mr. Joe at this time? Yeah, I love Samoa Joe. I mean, for me, so, if you're going to go performance in TNA, Samoa Joe is only second to AJ Styles. That's it. He's the number two guy for TNA for me. He was a brilliant champion. He, he, although we're talking about world champion, he cracked me but every title he held. He really did. And, you know, in this title run, Stephen mentioned the, the feuds he had as well. The angle, I totally agree. The angle feud is one of probably the top five of all time. It's just absolutely sensational. Every match was a classic. Uh, during this time, Joe really couldn't put a foot wrong. It's a shame that he never got another shot at it because he was always around the title picture. But I would have loved to have seen him get another shot. Was- and I think it's something it kind of, as Steve said, it maybe brings him down slightly. There was one point you guys made last week about AJ that you could kind of filter into Joe. I think you got to a point, TNA, where they just brought AJ out when they needed something, 
you know, they need to fill a gap. Right. So more Joe was very similar. He had the stuff with Mick Aldis, Magnus, you know, they feuded and they became tag champs. He had the beatdown clan stuff with MVP and uh, Kenny King, Lashley, you know, so he kind of was there to fill a gap as well, but at the same time, he shouldn't have been doing that. Same when he was in WWE, he was kind of like a filling a gap guy. He should have been that big guy that he was in his initial first year or so. Like what WWE did to him is an absolute travesty. That guy should have been Universal Champion or World Champion several times. He should still be in the company as well. Yeah, well, let, let's talk about that just before we um, go to the next choice. Scott, I know that it went right for Joe in NXT, but where did it go wrong for Joe in WWE? He never, never came close to the heights that he hit in TNA. Yeah, uh, talking about uh, Joe, before I go to WWE, talking about TNA, there was a thing where it looked like he was going to win the NWA title, but he didn't, for reasons I'll explain when I talk about who my worst pick for worst is. <laughs> but, you know, I'm glad he won in 2008 when he did because, you know, they kept him strong despite um, not being undefeated anymore. You know, he had that thing with Kurt Angle where he was technically tag champs by himself and ex-division champ. They had that match for all the belts. He's, he was the first man to give a clean loss to Christian Cage. So if he hadn't won it in 2008 when he did, that would have been it for Joe, I think, at that point. But it's still a travesty. He never won it again. With WWE, like he came in hot off after NXT with the whole thing with Seth Rollins. But I think it was like poor timing because Paul Heyman's even said himself that he wishes that when he and Brock and Joe fought that they didn't already have this plan with Roman because he would have loved a longer program between Brock and Joe. Uh, but the fact that we already had their hearts set on uh, Brock versus Roman at the following year's Mania. So at that point, it was bad time, and the injuries probably didn't help. But you know, like he was fine, like he was still like performing at high quality when he was feeding with AJ in 2018. And just for the sake of expanding, extending a reign as good as AJ is, was kind of get already getting stale by that point after the long, not underwhelming feud with Nakamura, and then the feud with Rusev, who everybody knew not to get their hopes up because they really weren't pushing Rusev. So, yeah, I think, I don't know, I think they just hesitated, they just waited too long, or they were just too like nervous that he would get injured again, potentially, because I think that was what led them to commentary, which he was good at, to be fair. The crazy thing is, right, so, of course, Samoa Joe has now left WWE, shockingly, after putting in a shift at WrestleMania, and um, a lot, I, I, I'm sort of in two minds about this, and one, on one hand, I'm sort of like, oh, well, do you know what, that, that that moment's probably gone for Joe, especially in WWE, but I think especially gone now for other companies too. However, like he's younger than AJ Styles, who, you know, I would put in a world title match tomorrow. I think he's definitely got a lot of gas left in the tank. So hopefully something can happen in the next few years with Joe. And I, um, I think he's the best guy. I think he's best put going back to Impact from TNA. I think everybody will eventually go AW, AW, AW. Maybe some New Japan stuff, you know. But if you look at it, the kind of TNA Impact Wrestling top tier main event scene is quite thin. They've got a lot of really talented guys in there, but the main is quite thin. Well, as if you bring a guy in like Joe, who's well associated with the company, there's a guy who you would believe can take the belt off of Kenny and Kenny doesn't look bad. And then he can build up that kind of division and build it up and then make a star. That's what he could do at his age. I think he's just perfect for the current landscape and impact. I totally agree with that. 
Stephen, is there an article on a website anywhere that can maybe explain this more to us? Yes. If you go on to eatsleepsuplexretweet.com, you will find it as opposed with many other articles, you know. <laughs> I do not hate AAW before anybody asking anybody <laughs> listen to the show. I quite like it, you know. Admit I will, I will pick out the faults. I pick out the faults for everything. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. Um, and yeah, so Samoa Joe. I, I, I don't think anyone would argue that he's one of the best uh, top tier champions and TNA Impact of all time. Um, we're now going to skip a whole bunch of years and we're going to skip a bit of the story but we're going to do a bit of star wars and come back to the middle in a bit because uh, we're now going to go to scott's choice for best ever tna impact champion do the same as steven tell us um who you've picked yeah you talked about almighty when you mentioned aj you want to talk truly about almighty champions i've chosen the almighty bobby lashley great choice right so bobby lashley had quite a few reigns with the belt. He first won it off Eric Young back in June 2014, lo- losing it to Bobby Roode before gaining it back off him. Um, and then later on, I think he won it off Drew Galloway, which I think was one of the best like later era TNA feuds. And um, he also returned and had it again. But um, I think by this time, it was the Impact Wrestling World Heavyweight Championship. Mm-hmm. And this was the reign where there was the unification thing and it was all very confusing but nevertheless let's not get bogged down in the semantics of how he won or lost the belt uh, why was Lashley so great because I was trying to think about this like there are so many great candidates but so many top wrestlers have been given that title and I was trying to think what makes a good a great champion and AJ and Joe were champions arguably during the peak era of TNA or Impact but Lashley, I think, was a guy who carried himself like a real world champion during a real dark period for the company, and yet still stood out as a top guy. You know, years before the heart business, there was this weird team with Lashley, MVP, and Kenny King, where Lashley won the title from, from Eric Young. Uh, he lost it to Bobby Roode, and then he won it in early 2015, mainly so they could have a big match to promote for their move to Destination America, which I'm sure a full 200 people saw at that time, <laughs> where Bobby Bray won it back. Because, you know, the stories about the ratings over there are not uh, are not good. So, yeah, he still carried himself like a star. He was showing people, especially in his latter two runs, I'm going to talk about in 2016 and 2017, he was basically showing uh, WWE, look, you don't push me down people's throats as you know, like a babyface version of Brock Lesnar, what he did in WWE ECW, book him as a monster. You know, he, he took on the nickname Walking Armageddon because it felt like nobody could really stop him. And also the fact he was still doing MMA at the time and he has a better record that in Bellator than Brock does in UFC. And I know people say, well, UFC is bigger than in Bellator, but still his record is much better. And he also has the weird distinction of being the uh, he's fought Drew for the both the TNA and for the, the Dairy title, and similar Dairy beat Drew with the Phil Nelson at WrestleMania. Their match at Slammiversary 2016, which there were a lot of eyes on because that was when the time the broken stuff started. Uh, they had a match where basically submission or knockout was the only way he could win, and he made Drew pass out in the Phil Nelson. During that reign, he decided, you know what? Eddie uh, Edwards, you're the X Division champion. Let's not just have you cash in option C. Let's have a title for title match. 
and Bobby Lashley beat Eddie Edwards, won the X Division title just because he could, and then they had the King of the Mountain title, uh, which James Storm just won, and a week later, Bobby Lashley went, look, let's have a match for all three belts, and Bobby Lashley won that. So he won two titles and then immediately vacated them just because he could. And that was officially the, the, the fucking King of the Mountain slash TV slash Global slash Legends title was finally put out of his measure, taken behind the woodsheds. And, you know, I didn't really devalue the belts as much because, well, that King of the Mountain belt was already devalued itself, but they quickly, you know, they put it as part of his character that he was doing that. And then he lost it to Eddie Edwards and then lost, won it back because Davey Richards turned on Eddie and that was forward and that helped prolong their feuds. And yeah, that by that point, they changed it from TNA to the Impact Wrestling title. And then he lost it in a weird unification thing with GFW champion Alberto Alpatron, everybody's favourite liability. And <laughs> he was the only guy, I think, in 2017 especially, who could be that guy. And, you know, they got all they could out of him. I'm pretty sure soon after they became GFW for that brief period, he got to Feck. And it's unfortunate they didn't continue that momentum immediately when he came to WWE. They kind of had that stall with the whole sisters thing. But, you know, he was basically, this was the precursor to what we have now with MVP and the heart business. Yeah. Um, I was like dabbling with TNA around this point. I remember. Um, I remember bits of this really vaguely. You're, you're so right. He, he, he took the company on his shoulders at a time when there was no other real superstars in the company. They had some guys that I feel like, you know, really had potential. I think Eli Drake was cutting about at this time. I think like Moose, but there was no like pure superstar name. And I feel like as well, like Bobby Lashley really made his name there. He, he didn't really come out of WWE with anything to really shine about him. Whereas I feel like when he went there, he, he built him up to be the guy that he is today, which I think is really, really important. There's a couple of guys I want to throw in at the end of this that, that sort of did the same thing, like went to TNA, built up their characters, came back to WWE and, and earned the benefit of it. But he's got to be one of the few guys that went to TNA from WWE and managed to come back and still be champion. So uh, I've loved his run as uh, with the top belt in WWE. Uh, I remember being like, I, I love that he's now getting a main event push and then all of a sudden he won the top te- uh, top belt as well. So that was absolutely great. But just, just we'll go back to TNA. Alan, did you did you watch anything of him around this time? I'm a bit like I said, because I started to dabble because I started to lose a lot of passion for TNA. I mean, from 2009 right up until this point, I preferred TNA over WWE. And I really started, I didn't really get watching a lot, but... One thing TNA definitely picked up on that now WWE are doing is Bobby, for me, is almost a complete package. The thing that's known for me personally, he has no charisma. He's no, he, can't go on a, he can't go on a mic and cut a promo, which means he needs somebody. And when they put him with MVP and Kenny King, that made it more interesting. You're like, okay. I was, no, everyone else got I totally agree with you. Know, he was this monster. He was TNA's version of Brock and he was destroying everyone, taking titles and vacating him because he could. And that's what, for me, kind of helped build TNA back up again because they knew he, he was the guy, but he wasn't quite there and he was missing something. And, you know, WWE have learned from it now because they've done the exact same thing again. Put him in a stable with a heart business. They split, but they've kept him with MVP, the mouthpiece, and it works perfectly. And, yeah, he's, he's, a really, he's a really, really good shout. And as you mentioned as well, there's a huge list of amazing champions in this company. 
really, really amazing list. Um, for me personally, he'd probably top 10. I don't think other was the greatest, but this is the point we're here to discuss what our favourites are. But he's up there, definitely, yeah. And I, I can't really argue anything with Scott Head because I've been pretty much spawning. If you actually type in the Google Bobby Lashley TNA World Champion, you'll see an image that really sums up his dominance in the company. Is He's got the X-Vision title on one shoulder, even though it's a really crap design with gold with a really weird green X in the middle. And then the, the TNA title on the other shoulder and the referee behind him holding up the, the kind of mountain belt so it's kind of appearing over his head. Uh, it shows that image of him with just all this gold. And even though he might not have been the champion that appeared where maybe we were watching as AJ or Joe, actually when you look it up, from the, from the 2007 version of the TNA World title up until now, in terms of combined reigns, he has the second all-time longest, like most combined days, 403 days across four reigns, behind, second only to Kurt Angle, who has over 600 days over six reigns. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Stephen, what did you make of Lashley as TNA champion? And sort of conversely to what we were saying about Joe, how, 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 how did it work? so well for him when he came back to WWE and managed to become a top guy. What did he do that Joe didn't do? Not get injured. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's the only real thing. Uh, and I, I think it helped that Vince, when he was originally there, Vince was quite high on him, I think, at that at one point in time. So much so high that Vince pinned him <laughs> for, the oh, ECW yeah. for the ECW title. <laughs> Mental. But Scott pretty much summed up how dominant he was, the fact that brain he had in 2016, but he had all the belts, you know, the chaser of gold, you know. It was some fantastic stuff, and it's how you should book a dominant heel champion, I think it's fair to say. Uh, I think his only downside at this particular point in time was, what Scott mentioned, let's say, there was, a, there was more eyes on the product because the broken stuff was going on. But on the flip side of that one, you're essentially playing second fiddle, I think it was still on challenge at this point in time in the UK, TNA. But anytime I caught it, I caught it to see the Matt and Jeff stuff, you know, because it was it was fantastic. Yeah. Uh, and I didn't really pay much attention to the Lashley stuff as much. Aside from the stuff with Drew, I thought the build to that Drew match was fantastic. I thought it was very well done. One of the better stuff that they did at this particular period of time, because as a period of time that if you ask many people who like TNA, like yourself, Chris, uh, pay completely shut off because the GFW stuff was crap, you know. Uh, Cody came in at this point in time as well, and he was crap too, you know. I do. I, I believe I'm going to talk about Cody. <laughs> <laughs> but love, uh, love your gimmick, Stephen. <laughs> <laughs> if you talk about single runs, I mean, it's 113 days that one between him winning it from Drew and losing it to Eddie Edwards, but. I think he's got to be up there as one of the best all time in that single reign. I know Scott mentioned he's got four reigns, only guys get more as cut angle. But I can't remember much about that 175 day run. I can remember briefly the one at the start because that's the beatdown client stuff. Don't remember the short one. When he lost it in London, you know, you guys talked last week about AJ Styles' historic win in London. I mean, he lost it to cut angle at this point. But that one, Slammiversary, that we drew, really does stand out to me. And yeah, it's, it's, it's a great choice because he is a... And I'm glad as well, as you guys say, that he got the chance to run it. I was so torn at WrestleMania when it was him and Drew because patriotism says, I want Drew to win it. But at the same time, I'm really glad that they've given Lashley the chance to run it. So they want, I want to keep him running with it. 
to the point that Brock comes back. Lashley, Brock, SummerSlam, fans, money. Yeah, I wholeheartedly agree. Um, fingers crossed for that. Now we're going to do the unthinkable and attempt to sum up all of the other guys that we didn't mention. Strack, who was supposed to be with us, couldn't make it, but he really wanted to point out Bobby Roods, which I think deserves a little bit of mention. The current, um, as it stands right now, has the longest reign as TNA champion in history, I think. Um, longest single reign, I should say. 256 days after winning it in October 2011, they broke up TNA's best or maybe second or third best tag team of all time to give Bobby Roode his run with the belt. He just went on this brilliant heel run. Uh, I have such fond memories of this. Again, it was it was in a weird period of time for TNA in 2011, um, but I still think he managed to, to carry the title very well. Other names that we have to mention, I mean, the, the man that we've mentioned a couple of times, Kurt Angle, I will be the first one to argue I think he had a better career in TNA than he did WWE. I know a lot of people won't agree, but I just remember so much of it, um, more than what he did in WWE. It, his best wrestling years in TNA, I think yeah. it's fair to say. Which is weird because he was burnt out with wrestling by the time he finished in ECW. So it just shows you that all he needed was that little break and then a little bit of a different schedule and the tropical climate of Orlando to just reinvigorate his his career totally. Um, and uh, I have to say, like, from personal favorites of my own, uh, like, I want to make it more about you guys than me, but, like, I loved when Jeff Hardy won it, even though he turned heel and doing it. Jeff Hardy's my favorite wrestler of all time. So when he finally hit that... Um, uh, TNA title run um, joining you know all the baddies in the company at the time and um, the, the end of that run of that tournament as well uh, yeah Chris I know he actually Jeff when I was going to I was going through a wee list of people when I was talking about who I wanted to pick as my favourite and Jeff was an option because I remember being shot when he had that heel turn in 2010 but what really f- went against Jeff for me was I could not forgive him for the multiple times he tried to redesigned the belt for some he really drew late at night while he was under the influence of something <laughs> and given too much faith and not nobody was like a kid who draws a really bad drawing in primary school and the teacher is just too nice to tell him that Barry that's shit nobody's gonna <laughs> hang this under fridge <laughs> so true yeah the Jeff Hardy belt design I want to be in a bin somewhere never to be mentioned again and I'm just gonna really quickly throw out some names and then I'll go around you guys for a sort of one word sort of mention of somebody else you might want to shout about. Um, loved Sting as champion. He totally reinvigorated his career in TNA. I loved Eli Drake as champion. I thought the charisma that he brought to the belt finally paid off when he got the big one. Magnus did his bit to carry the company at another shite time. Um, EC3, all of a sudden he's not this terrible <laughs> like wee guy anymore. He's like a big deal in the company. Um, first female uh, Impact champion and Tessa Blanchard, even though she turned out to be a bleep. Um, and uh, <laughs> one other name you guys want to mention? I'll go to Stephen first. Brian Cage established him as a big name. Absolutely, time for him. Hey Scott, uh, I'll say Sam McCallaghan. You know, really in hindsight, maybe he shouldn't have lost it to, to Tessa, and may, hopefully, maybe he'll be one of the guys to win it off of Omega and bring it back because you know brought the belt to ICW, so that was fun. Yeah, I remember when. I I think I must have been lost on the internet one night and watched the impact after Kenny won the belt. And he was one of the guys that was like, well, I'm going to beat him. I was like, good on you. I want somebody to beat him. Uh, Alan, you get any other mentions you want to throw in as well? 
Uh, you mentioned for Stevie's intro, I loved um, Austin Aries. I see when he cashed in option C, he was on top of his game. He was probably arguably one of the best wrestlers in the world at the time. You know, it was brilliant. Yeah, that, that image of him uh, doing the brain buster on Bully Ray, like I, I vividly remember that and just being like, this is where TNA shines and its ability to cross the divisions. Oh, wait, I did forget one guy. Crap, this was the one guy I wrote down that I wanted to talk about. Um, I want to give special mention to the first ever, and I think maybe to this point only African-American NWA champion, and that is Ron The Truth Killings. He like changed his career in TNA as well. He was there from the very beginning, and um, he turned heel very early on and started talking about how he felt he was being held down in wrestling because of his race. And on the eighth ever NWA TNA weekly pay-per-view in August 2002, he became the first man to defeat Ken Shamrock for the belt. And then he went on a bit of a run. He defeated a whole bunch of guys, uh, held it for 105 days. And um, I don't think that Ron Killings, R-Truth, would be in WWE today, still shining to this day, if it wasn't for this specific run, how much he showed how great a character he had. And I also think if they did this storyline now in WWE, um, people would go insane for it because people would probably be like, yeah, you've got a good point. Whack your approves yeah. of this message. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's interesting also if you're, if you're counting the, TN, the time where they had the NW belt and into Impact, the Impact title and all in one long lineage, he's only one of three African-American men to have held the title with Bobby Lashley, who I mentioned, and one of the more recent ones, Rich Swan. Maybe you want, if you want to count this, because he recognised the TNA belt he was carrying for a while, but that'd be a stretch, I think. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Right, guys, there's too much niceness. There's too much happiness here. Let's start ripping some people apart. <laughs> We've heard from some of the best TNA Impact Champions of all time. Now let's do our worst. And uh, right, I'm going to attempt to do them chronologically once again. Oh, Scott, where else can we begin? You've chosen <laughs> You've chosen oh. someone that we have, to, we have to talk about. I've not mentioned them up to this point. Um, we've got about 45 minutes left of the show, so try not to use all of it. But <laughs> who did you pick out as your worst champion? Oh, I made sure to ask you if we were including the NWA title. <laughs> because you want, people want to talk about 02205, Triple H, the Reign of Terror. Ain't got shit on this. <laughs> Jeff Jarrett, founder of TNA, who bizarrely, a lot in the early years, managed to find himself as the champion. Funny how that works. <laughs> as NW, look at the NWA title in age. He's, he was the champion six times, never held it while it was Impact World title, thankfully. And across six reigns, he has the, the ninth most combined days as NWA World Champion. 1,006 days combined as champion across six reigns. And one of the reasons why I think he is one of the worst is because, well... There's only one person who benefited from Jeff Jarrett's time as NWA champion, and it was Jeff Jarrett. Because Jeff Jarrett uh, beat Ron the Truth Killings uh, for, for his first reign. That went 203 days. Lost it to AJ Styles in June 2003. That should have been you know, AJ's like crowning moment. Nope, a couple months later, loses it back to Jeff Jarrett, who's suddenly a babyface for some reason. 182 days, loses it. Uh, to AG again. And then 2004 wins it uh, in the first ever King of the Mountain match, takes the name the King of the Mountain uh, as a result of that. 
there's technically a whole situation where he may may not have lost it in, in Puerto Rico and then I did do a weird thing where he technically didn't lose it, not recognised like the NW champions used to back in the day. But some of the people that he, he beat during this time, he beat Jeff Hardy, he beat Kevin Nash, beat Monty Brown, who was an upcoming guy that time, should have won the belt and suddenly got made his lackey. Kevin Nash, where he kept breaking so many guitars, that he couldn't keep Kevin Nash in. He pulled out a fucking cello for some reason. There was just, that was the thing with Jeff Jarrett's match, it's always ending some sort of Way too many shenanigans. AJ then wins it again from him. Hard just to do five. Okay, finally, he's made a new star. AJ is now the face of the company. Nope. AJ loses it to Raven, who Jeff Jarrett beats in September. Then the first ever Bound for Glory event, Rhino beats him after Rhino wrestled a Monsters Ball match. Then he wrestled in a Gauntlet match because he was maybe Kevin Nash beat Jeff Jarrett again. And Nash no showed. So Rhino won it, beat him. And then uh, a bunch of heels try to beat up Rhino afterwards, but Team 3D made the save. Okay, Rhino, he got he got the short end of it in WWE. He, wasn't, he was kind of a mid-carder. Rhino's never made a very like he was in ECW. Nope. Two days later, TV taping, Jeff Jarrett wins it back. In comes Christian Cage to finally save us. Well, against all odds, 2006 wins the title. Oh, I really should have brought some water. But then he beats <laughs> Jeff Jarrett. Finally, it's all over. But no, Slammiversary 2006, another hey, thing about match. Earl Hebner helps screw Christian, helps Jeff Jarrett win. People were throwing garbage at the ring. Not in an effective heel heat way, in a, oh, for fuck's sake, not Jeff Jarrett again way. His shortest reign was that one before he lost to Reno at 38 days. But then he had 110 days, 126 days of his final reign. Finally loses it to, Je- to Sting at Bound for Glory 2006. But even then, Sting didn't benefit from beating Jeff Jarrett. Sting's already a legend. So what new? how many new stars did Jeff Jarrett make in his six reigns over a thousand days combined as champion? And he added, fuck all other than Jeff Jarrett to say events. Look, I can be a world champion. All I had to do was start my own company, which he helped found, helped found with that $300,000 that he held up Vince for. You're so right. Like, so I vividly remember when I started watching TNA. I think it was, I think I mentioned this last week, it was NWA TNA pay-per-view, I want to say like 80-odd, but Jeff Jarrett was in his second reign. And um, eventually AJ took the belt off him in the steel cage match um, in April 2004. But you could not get away from Jeff Jarrett and TNA for so long. Like my peak years were 2003 to about 2007. And you said it yourself, like they only had the NWA belt for five years. And if you count a thousand days, that's like three years of the five years. It's insane. And um, I'm trying to even go through the mental process. Yeah, they used it to put over AJ, but it was only for such a short amount of time. And you could sort of say the same with Christian Cage later on, but then he takes the belt back off him. And I will never, never to this day, forgive TNA for international instant in September 2005, when not only did Jeff Jarrett win the belt from Raven, but he won it off television at a house show in another company. And I'm still mad about it to this day. Uh, I just remember being like, what? Like, I didn't even get to see it. Now the guy just comes out with the belt. But that's my anger at it. Let's go to you two. Stephen, what do you think uh, about Jeff Jarrett as TNA champion? That's J-E-F-F. 
G double R E double T. Ah, the greatest wrestler, the world's greatest entertainer, and the world's worst TNA champion. Uh, oh my god. I remember. I remember watching, I got into WWE really into it around about 1999. I watched a bit of it beforehand, but I remember him losing that match to China. You guys spoke about a couple of months ago in the China show, the good housekeeping match. One of my, uh, my feel good matches to go back and watch, even though it's a bit behind the times. But uh, so I, Jeff Jarrett loses that, it goes away. You see him in WCW at times, and then he goes away again. And then I start watching TNA stuff, and I see him there with the championship, and I'm kind of like, hey, he lost, he got hit with a pie in 1999. <laughs> and every time I turn the telly back on to see him, he's got a title, he's got a world title. He beat Bob and Diamond Dallas Page in the final year of WCW about a million times. And then this, I mean, come on. I mean, a thousand days. Oh, man, that's mental. That Bound for Glory 2005 is one of the most underrated Bound for Glories of all time. Samoa Joe takes on Jusin Thunder Liger in the opening match. You get a 30-minute Ironman match between Styles and Daniels. That monster's ball match is crazy, you know. And then there's this whole big thing for Rhino winning the title, and you think, yes, this is brilliant. This is the chance to make Rhino something. And he loses it two days later in the taping. I mean, like, see if you're going to have him lose it. Have him lose it to somebody like, you've got Joe there who's doing stuff. Monty Brown's in the best run of his career. You know, Abyss is, you know, Abyss is, give the title to James Mitchell. You know, put him on that. He was he was amazing back then. You know, I, I, I digress, I digress. But, no, it's just like, it, it was just always there. It was thrown in your face all the time. He was running. Every time he thought somebody was going to get one up on him, he takes him out. There was a the one time Christian's debuts and he comes in. It's like, yes, he's going to take him out. Scott Steiner shows up. I can't mind if that was the same show, you know. And it's just like, oh, you know. Jeff Jarrett is a fun guy to look back on from his 90s run in WWE because he had that whole gimmick, you know. But, oh, my God, Jeff. You're not as good as you think you are. <laughs> Let's be honest. You are... Everybody says that Cody Rhodes wants to be Triple H. No, Cody Rhodes wants to be Jeff Jarrett. <laughs> I said I would talk about here. Joe has the whole angle where Joe beats up Jarrett and nicks the belt and then beats Jeff Jarrett on pay-per-view in a non-title match. And then has to get Kurt Angle in and say, you know, give us the belt back. Come on, you're not the champion. Give us the belt. And like, just have Joe beat him. He was red hot at the time. There is your new star. Then I wouldn't have to, maybe I would have forgiven you a little bit for your... It was in plus monopoly on the belt. You know, no wonder his, his theme song at the time was called My World because that was his way of saying, it's my company, I can make myself a champion for as long as I want. Jeff, fuck off. That's F-U, double C, <laughs> double K, O, double F. Uh, Alan, can you think of any justification for this? Uh, are you fully on board our <laughs> F-D-J-J hype train? <laughs> I'm so glad Scott picked him because he was my pick. Definitely, I totally agree with everything he said. I mean, WWE, Vince seen him and goes, you're a mid-carder at best, mate. And that's where he was. And they kept him there. He's not world title material. And you think, okay, right, he's started a new company. They're taking on WWE. Right, okay, give yourself the title. I get that, right? One, one run of the title. Maybe give yourself, like, 
couple a couple months. Give yourself another day if you feel grateful. Right? Drop it. No. And then I mean I used to start crying almost watching the champion. <laughs> like seriously, like I used to know was great by the two guys in TNA are champion. Bobby Roode and Jeff Jarrett. The difference being is Bobby Roode was such a good heel, I fucking hated him. It's like remember Sarah always saying you always like a heel champion because you want the face to chase them to take it from them. Oh my god, uh, so I'm, I'm trying to calm down here. Steve is going to be worried up because I'm agreeing with every word that Steve said. <laughs> I say that, but see when they showed up at the square going ICW, I popped like fuck. <laughs> I was so happy. You know what I mean? So, I mean, he seems like a nice enough guy. <laughs> Jesus, fuck, man. I mean, no, just no, no. He's not world title material. You just look at me like. Mid card at best, and then I'm not trying to get in his personal life for him taking Karen Jarrett and all that. But the guy's fucking punching at life. You've got a, you've got a milf bird, right? You own a wrestling company, which at that point is probably the second biggest wrestling company in the world. You don't need a fucking world champion. You've got all this money in the bank. Let the young guys do it. Let them grow it, and go and sit in the back and have a time. You know, and he just went pissed off. It was infuriating. <laughs> And I can't argue with any of the guys are saying because I totally 100% agree with it. But however, I will say one thing in his defence. I can't do think he was a champion, but his cage match with Kurt Angle, it wasn't that was fighting for the Olympic title, the Olympic medals, was one of the best matches in TNA history. It was mm. brilliant. That is the one highlight I will give him in his TNA run. But everyone else, I totally agree with the guys, 100%. Guys should have had one run at the title. That's it. Chris, you should not have made me go first. You should not have made me <laughs> go first. This is where this is where we should be glad that GFW failed, by the way, because God knows how many times he would have given himself with that title because I'm pretty sure before Alberto and all the legal trouble and then Jeff had his own issues, I think bound for going 2017 was maybe Alberto defending against Jeff Jada. <gasps> One year bound for glory. So I got GFW failed when it did and was just Jeff Jarrett saying, here, you want to buy some gold? Another thing as well, um, and I don't know how this factors into this whole thing, but Jeff was running the company, right? So why did he not pay what, like whatever the asking price was for Hulk Hogan? My earliest TNA memory is him clocking Hulk Hogan with a guitar in 2003 in New Japan. It was all supposed to lead to a belt match in NWA TNA, and it never happened. He should have opened his checkbook. It still bugs me to this day. But nevertheless... Um, Jeff Jarrett is um, most definitely on our worst champions podium. We're now going to roll on a bit, and I think this is a really interesting choice from Stephen. Who have you gone for for your worst world champion? Sorry about his damn luck. <laughs> I'm going uh, for James Storm, the cowboy. Chris, you kind of alluded to it earlier on. Now, before I say it, this is no disrespect on James Storm. You look at the guy's resume. Hear me, hear me out, hear me out. Look at the guy's resume that he has all the way before that one. You know, multiple-time tag team champion. You know, been in the company since day one. You know, he was in, he'd been in the company for nine years up until 2011, where he beats Cut Angle on Impact to win the TNA World title. Great achievement for a guy, you know, who had all that time. However... Two things. One, he loses the belt a week later to Bobby Roode. Now you think, 
All right, that makes sense. Two beer money guys, feud, blah, 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 blah. But one day before James Storm wins the title, Bobby Roode challenges Kurt Angle for the title at Bound for Glory 2011, the big event, obviously, of the year. Probably one of the biggest events for a casual fan in TNA's history because they had this Sting Hogan match, as bad as it was, two of the biggest names in wrestling at that particular point. But Bobby Roode had won the first ever Bound for Glory series. He was coming off a ton of momentum. He was the breakout star of fortune at that particular point. He was cutting promos on Hogan, cutting promos on Flair. He should have went into Bound for Glory and won the title. But instead, they have him lose it, give it to Storm, and Storm loses it a week later. Back to Rude. Rude turns heel. Rude goes on this amazing run, and Storm never wins the title again. So the issue that I've really got is not that James Storm is a particularly bad champion because he's a he should have been in that category of having a long reign doing brilliantly. But it's just the reign that really gets me. The fact that he's used in a role to kind of lead into this whole rude heel turn. One couple of days, I don't I can't remember if TNA was still on the Monday at this point in time, but just after the big show of the year. It'd be equivalent, you know, of um, Ricochet. I'm going to use Ricochet, for example. Ricochet goes on this crazy run, wins the Rumble, blah, 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 goes to Mania, loses, and then Humberto Carrillo wins the title on Raw. It's just that whole aspect of it. It's really... It left a bit of a sour taste for me. If they wanted to do the stop, Storm should have been the guy who wins the title at Bound for Glory, then they do the thing with Rude. It's just the way they executed it was what made it a really bad world title reign for me. Cause... I, no, I, I get what you're saying. It's almost what they didn't do with this reign is what makes it in the worst contention. Like I loved that Bound for Glory series. That first one in 2011, I was just like, this is great. Whoever's coming out of this as the winner, is going to be the new champion. They're going to dethrone Kurt Angle, and this is going to be huge. And then Bound for Glory, I, I vaguely remember there was some sort of dumb injury angle in the main event match, and then Angle wins. And I was like, what? And then the next, was it the next night or, or the next week or something on Impact? It was just, It was pretty much, it was the Impact after Bound for Glory, yeah. he wins it. And then Storm wins, and I was like, oh, okay. So it's like they swear the, the James Storm's the future star. Right, that's fine. I'm on board with this. And then they did that massive heel turn. And don't get me wrong, it was a really good heel turn. But yeah, why even bring James Storm into it? Uh, was this them rewarding him for what he'd done in the company up to that point? The, the only justification I can think of in my head is that, right, how can we turn Bobby Roode into the biggest heel possible? Right, we have to break up this tag team that we've had for so long. We have to put him over one of the biggest guys that they've had in the company to that point. But they just didn't need to do it this way. Later they could down, have won the belt at Bound for Glory. They could have had the match. Yep. And then they could have done the turn. Yeah, you know? and then done the turn with Bobby Roode as champion. Yeah. And just never have him... And then, and then James Storm could have beat Bobby Roode as face later down the line. It, yeah, it was infuriating. But yeah, it's what they didn't do with this instead of what they did. Um, Scott, what did you think? James Storm's eight days as champion. I know. Like, again, like one of the issues I had like, when Stephen mentioned Samoa I like Joe is somebody who should have had more than one reign and Storm is the same, I think. Because, you know, I think it was a, a congratulations you know, for like the build up. You know, he's been here since day one. He's finally won the top prize and everything. And then, like, everything they did in the story with Bobby going to the biggest show, losing, but his friend then wins it, and then he, he turns turns on his best friend, 
even though like they did it like a week and a half before their next pay-per-view instead of having them turn on Storm at their very next pay-per-view, which would have gave a reason to tune into the following impact. But everything seemed to be working out well. Rude went on the run of his career. It became the ball Rude that we would see later in NXT as well. But the, everything was set up for, for the culmination to be Storm gets his revenge and wins the belt back at the same time. Eventually, he did beat Bobby Roode at Brown for Glory 2012, but Roode wasn't the champion by that point. So, like, because remember lockdown 2012 where he super kicks him, but he's next to the door and he goes flying. And me and Ross were regularly watching TNA that time. And Ross will tell you, we were fucking raging when that happened. That finish is like, no. And like, I think there were always there was there were plans, I think, for Stormy to get another run. But they just never pulled the trigger. I don't know why in like 2014, 2015, remember that time when they were struggling, they didn't think to get Storm and somebody who's still who stuck with them to get the title rather than having the storylines where he pushes Mickey James in front of a train. Like I like Eric Young like more so as a heel and his heel run as impact champion last year was good, but he shouldn't have been winning it as the weird pseudo Daniel Bryan thing figure in twenty fourteen. The thing he personally beat Magnus because Magnus was not ready at that point. He was not the Nick Aldis NW champion we know now. Storm should have been the guy in that position and then puts over Bobby Lashley later on. Like, yeah, again, like they, what they didn't do with him, you know, he was, he's the guy who stuck by them. He still sticks by them to this day. And yet, it's not felt like rewarding him properly with a proper one as D guy in TNA. It's crazy. I'm just looking at the lineage here. I think I would probably take James Storm as champion over anyone in the last eight years. Seven years. Pretty much Eric Young to now, any of them could have lost the belt to James Storm and it would have been mm-hmm. better. But Alan, what what did you make of uh, James's brief blinking you'll miss it reign as champ? It was shite. For <laughs> 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 all the reasons, the guy, I mean, this kind of feels like talking about the best opening WrestleMania matches and we spent 40 minutes talking about an 18 second match. You know, that's <laughs> it. it was piss poor booking. It was shit what he did to Storm. And it's crap. He's never had that chance to come back and win the title. And for me, he should have been a world champion several times over. For me, this is when TNA started to go on the decline. Because it was more poor booking decisions and more bad business decisions that ended up almost costing the company to go bust. So this is when the decline started to happen for me. Thank God we got beer money. Thank God we got the revolution. Thank God that he's got his tag title and national title runs in NWA, but TNA, you did a dirty on this man for how loyal to how loyal he was to you for so long. Okay, one more from you guys, and I saved this for last, Alan, because I'm looking at this name and I'm like, did he get the column wrong? Did he mean to put this guy in best? But I, I need you to convince me. Who is your worst TNA Impact champion? But that storyline was so dragging, so bloody long. I mean, from the moment the, the storyline started to the minute he dropped the title, it was 14 months. That's overkill on wrestling. The whole 80s and 80s angle. Oh, he's in, in Hulk, Hulk Corner. Oh, he's going to marry Brooke. They marry, and he turns out he's the leader. It was just garbage. And just if you're going to talk about poor title range based on the logic that to the extent Stevens used for James Storm, 66 days. Not impressive for a guy who's the stature of Billy Ray. 
And at that time, TNA really didn't sort of have a lot of big stars left, a lot of guys that are at a top level. And, you know, it just kind of showed it was panic booking for me. And again, like we mentioned last week in AJ Styles, they had to pull AJ back in to save the day. Uh, I just thought it was so poor. It, it, it had retribution feel all over it. You know, like looking back now, it's like what retribution, you're like, ah, this is an ace, style just coming back of the crap here. It was just so poorly done. It dragged that this should have been a six one thing maximum. You know, it was five months from the day the storyline started to the day he came out as the champion. No, sorry, he was the leader versus an ace. And then the whole build up of him getting the title, I wasn't really impressed with it. And then you know, 66 days as champion, and then he drops it thankfully to AJ. It was just, it just wasn't really enjoyable because, you know, week after week, he's just become like a Stalin. He's just kicking one out after the law and the group, and you're just like, mate, this is just, I'm just sort of losing interest in this whole storyline. You as champion, you just look like a wee fascist dictator. He's just lost the plot, and I'm just kind of no interest. He's just going to drop it. It just it bored me to tears, and also like I said with Jan Malkin, Billy Ray, not this week. He's not a good wrestler. He's had an incredible career, probably the greatest tag team wrestler ever. But the guy is not a world title. He's not a world champion material, and it was a poor booking decision in my opinion. This is interesting because I like this run purely because I think like you're right. It did go on way too long, but and it, and it always does. See, when you do these storylines where they encompass the whole roster, it's always so difficult to end them. If you look at the invasion, if you look at like retribution recently, like they always come to a horrible ending. And uh, what I liked about it was, is after he won the title in that steel cage match, he did this like series of promo videos on impact where they were like, and I did this six months ago because of this and that's why this happened and, and, he, and he like unraveled all the like clouds of uh, of how aces and eights came together but there was some really dumb shit in there like he at one point tags with sting to lose to aces and eights to give them full access to the company and he's getting battered by them but then later on he's like i'm the leader um I, i'll get you guys thoughts i personally i mentioned this earlier on the show i liked how Austin Aries beat him for the belt, um, you know, with the whole option C thing. I thought they had a good feud. But I do agree with a lot of what you're saying, Alan. It went on way too long. Uh, Stephen, is, is Bully Ray, I, I wouldn't say a credible world champion because I think there's a different sort of tier of world champion in TNA slash Impact. But was he a credible TNA Impact champion? And what did you make of his runs with the belt there? Uh I think Alan makes a decent argument for it, to be fair. I would kind of class him as a guy in the middle. I wouldn't have said he was somebody on the lot, the high end of a great champion, but maybe not so sure about the kind of worst side of things. I mean, if you look at two years or something, I think it was two years before he won the title, he developed into that heel gimmick in a motto, and he kind of broke out in that stable. But I think the thing that does sell him short in this title reign is not the kind of the reign itself, it's kind of the build to the reign, as kind of Alan mentioned. The Aces and Eights stable had potential at one point in time, but I think it was kind of dumbfounded by one, as Alan said, the length for the whole thing. You were waiting far too long for the big payoff. And two, kind of the underwhelmingness of the guys who were unveiled in that stable leading up to him. I mean, you know, there was Devon was the big guy, first of all, in that match you mentioned, Chris. I think it was at Bound for Glory the year before. Some of the names that came into it eventually, you know, 
uh, was it D'Lo Brown wasn't really doing much at that point in time, kind of came from left field. They brought in these kind of younger guys, Garrett Bischoff and Wes Briscoe, that nobody cared about. You know, Ken Anderson was set up as this guy who was going to be the inside man, but nothing ever really came of that either. Uh, the only good unveiling from the Aces and Eights thing was uh, Tazzy's one at the wedding. Tazzy's one at the wedding's amazing. <laughs> That's so good. Uh, but you kind of felt it was kind of feeling like retribution level type stuff at that point in time. You kind of seen it coming as well, and to some extent, you know, you kind of felt it was going to go there, which didn't help it in any way, shape, or form. I don't think he does a lot to establish himself as a great champion, which doesn't help either. He kind of does the thing that he does the kind of he's in the Jeff Jarrett role with Chris Sabin in this point in time as well, where Chris Sabin wins the title. Chris Sabin should have went to stardom from that point in time and you know ends up getting guff out of it. I don't even know why they gave him the belt. He's kind of given the belt as a thank you type idea, but yeah, now nah, aces and eights. A whole opinion on them was it did have potential, but it went nowhere. My the best way to summarize aces and eights is that segment where Tito Ortiz comes out. <laughs> Nobody has a clue what's going on. He's, he's this whole big reveal at this whole thing. It's just like, he just stands there. To be fair enough, what UFC had he really hit the heights that it has now. You know, that, that happened now, people would be losing their shit. Ah, but it was a big, massive thing. They were like, this is going to be a big, massive star. And Tito Ortiz shows up and then it's just like, then nothing comes of it because they have Rampage and yeah. Rampage Jackson's on the main event Mafia. And yeah. the two of them aren't allowed on TNA at one point. So it just goes to nothing anyway. You see people looking going, Who's that with Mr. Anderson? <laughs> I think the issue might be for me is that I'm desperately trying to separate Bully Ray as TNA champion from Aces and Eights. Because I think Aces and Eights as a whole probably was mince. But I'm like, I'm desperately trying to find a way to justify why Bully Ray's champion was actually good. Scott, what do you think? Yeah, because I was surprised as well when it was now had this as his choice. Because I remember at the time, maybe. We're a bit late to early uh, 2013. Maybe I wasn't uh, as online as I am now, or I wasn't as, as you know, jaded as I maybe you know the years of podcast and everything. That I didn't see Billy Ray coming as the leader, you know, so I kind of bought into it. And I think, yeah, the whole appeal with Aces and Nates was who is under the masks. I mean, you've already revealed everybody but the president. It's a case of like, all right, can you hurry up and reveal it because uh, we're losing interest here. Then there was a shock because we just it did a slow turn, just smacked Jeff in the back of the head with the mat with the hammer, uh, uh, lockdown, won the title, and that brought them a few more weeks because Bully Ray, I think 2012 onwards at that period of time, was when the best heels going. I think he knew over oh, he had years as a heel as part of the Dudleys, even going back to ECW, so he knew how to work a crowd and everything. I think this was kind of a credit to his heel work that he got the time, the time he run as the top heel. Yeah, looking at it on its own, you know, he was still mixing up with the same kind of people. He was made, he got a rematch with Jeff. Uh, um, actually, Sting with whole situation. So Sting was never challenged the title if he loses. And then Sting lost. I went, ah, I guess one of the few times he actually stuck to that stipulation. Uh, yeah, the other thing with Chris Saban, I think, you know, they're trying to make it seem like option C is a real thing. We might push these exhibition guys. And then it was overshadowed by TRT showing up. And then AJ won the title from him shortly after that. So, you know, I, I wouldn't say it's the worst reign. I think, yeah, it, it doesn't help if you, you know, see it as part of the whole Aces and Eights thing, which does get convoluted the more you think about it. I'd say somewhere in the middle tier, I think, in that he was deserving of a run, but, you know, he's not exactly, you know, for terms of work rate, if that's what you're into, going back into the matches that he had for the title didn't fit that category. 
So that is that is three of the worst ever TNA Impact Champions. I think that specifically, if I was to pick one, I think that Jeff Hardy's run as the out his nut TNA Impact <laughs> Champions probably absolutely the worst. Um, I'm just embarrassed thinking back on it. I. I am one of those people who very much tries to ignore all the bad things that Jeff Hardy's done in his career to enjoy the uh, the good bits. Um, Strack wanted us to mention Ken Anderson as um, TNA champion twice. Now, here's the issue. This is this is why I think this is actually a good shout. I remember nothing about this. I remember he had two runs um, with the belt. The first one. I think he pinned Jeff Hardy. Yeah, but both times led to nothing. And I vividly remember when Sting returned to beat Anderson. uh, And it was around the same time that CM Punk won the WWE title and just thinking wrestling's amazing. Um, But I I couldn't tell you anything about this. What really ruined his first reign, not only the fact it was a month and they lost about Jeff, is that because it was only going to be for a month, they had him walk around for a month with that purple Jeff Hardy creation, while openly slagging it off in promos, saying he could stick a crane up his ass, squat over paper, and draw something better than this. He said that in an actual, which was included in the video package for the match with Jeff where he lost it. And then the thing with Sting, where all was set around him joining Immortal, because Jeff was gone, they needed a new figurehead, and Anderson was a bad choice for that. There was only one good thing in his run, it's not even to do with him, it's to do with Eric Bischoff. Is Eric Bischoff helps someone against Sting? So he stops the cover when he could have beaten Anderson thinking that he's already won. Then Anderson gets back up and beats him. But now that I think about it, this is maybe as good as I thought it was. Maybe it just makes Sting look like a dafty. Yeah. Sting has some pretty gaff runs with the belts. You know, the one where he ends the reign of terror of Jeff, then loses it to Abyss a month later. He beats Kurt Angle the year after and loses it to Kurt Angle again. You know, the one where he beats Joe is actually his best run. Because he's the main event mafia leader. That's his. That is his best run in that type of thing. Then he lost to a Mick Foley, who I mentioned in a Worst World Champion show a while back. Who I tried to say to myself before I thought of Jeff, I thought, "Don't see Mick Foley again." I've said everything <laughs> I can about him. Yeah, we we also yeah we need to pay special mention when we did our Worst World Champions show, and I think me and Scott like did we both <laughs> pick exclusively TNA champions because I said a best as well, and I think I broke down all of those matches where it was just like lost by DQ. Loss, 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 not for the belt. Loss, never on and the he, front of the poster. And he wins the title by DQ. Yeah. The, the best thing he did in that year, Abyss, was that the angle they shot where he goes to Christian's house and then tries to literally drown him in a pool. <laughs> I mean, it's so morbid, but it's actually great telly. It's just because yeah. James Mitchell's such an evil bastard at that point. I've got some names I'd like to throw at you. Some guys who I personally think should never have been anywhere near the title Matt Hardy. I just, I'll never see him as a world champion. Chris Sabin, as we mentioned, should never have been in that position. What he'd done for the tag team division, I think it was only fair he got a shot at it. I mean, mm. a lot of the reasons why a lot of us don't like certain champions is piss poor booking decisions by TNA. Not necessarily the wrestlers themselves, but mm-hmm. poor booking decisions. So I think, though, know, like Storm, I feel Sabin's kind of a victim of that. And I've got two more names I want to throw at you. Eddie Edwards, get out of here. I'll never believe that he is uh, a main event guy. He just doesn't have a scary face. He just looks like he wants to hug me. He looks like he should be the champion of Chikara or something like that. 
He's TNA's ghetto version of John Cena. And the last name, just to be, not even to be controversial, get that belt off Kenny Omega right now. Because if you don't, you're never going to see it again and your company's going to be in the bin. That's how we'll end it, folks. What do you guys think as Kenny as champion? Mm, yeah, I kind of see where you're coming with. I, I get the idea that I'm using Kenny because he's a big name. They want to get names on them, but at the same time, you risk the point. As I mentioned earlier when we talked about Joe, you risk the point of having a point that you have an unstoppable champion that none of your guys are going to be able to beat at the moment. I'd feel the exact same way if they had a, a relationship with WWE and Roman Reigns held that title. Because who in Impact is going to beat Roman Reigns? Same idea with Kenny Omega. Moves. <laughs> Moves. I would pop. That's a different conversation altogether. I just think it's going to be a danger of ruining the roster. I'll get eyes on Impact, which is going to be good for them. But they need to find a way, creative way of getting that belt off them. Because Tony Khan is not going to let them lose matches a lot. I mean, I think they lost that six man at the recent pay per view, but I don't. It was one of it was Gals or Anderson that get pinned, so he's never going to get pinned in there. So it's just going to be foregone all the time. Yeah, we'll we'll have to see how this whole thing pans out. You never know. By the time this goes out, he might have lost it to a returning Lacey Von Eric. We can only cross our fingers. But <laughs> thank you guys so much for this show. I love it when we, we start off like quite professional. And we're praising these wrestlers for how great they are, and then we end on a barrage of abuse for how bad they've been. We have a lot to thank TNA for. They've created these superstars like Joe, like AJ, all the way back in the day. But for every great one, they've, they've had some duds as well. So big thanks to you guys for being on the show this week. Big thanks to Crimson, Alan McLucas. Thank you, your cunt champion. Enjoyed the show. <laughs> big thanks to Austin Aries, Stephen Wilson. Don't you forget it. <laughs> And as well, thank you, Lacey Von Eric. Scott McLeod, the most famous name in ESSR. I'm sorry to anybody out there who was hoping for some point in the future that ESSR would interview Jeff Jarrett, because I don't think it's going to happen now. <laughs> can, can, can we, uh, I think I'm going to add Lacey Von Eric though, to the list of the Christmas special. It's going to be the alternative to the Von Eric's Darts in the Ring episode. We're just going to be nice and happy. <laughs> Give out beers. We're going to get, it's going to be all going to be in the one room again. You know, it's going to be magnificent. Stephen, just before I let you go, can you let us know what next week's show is? Oh, guys, it's a better given what we spoke about. Next week, we're going to be talking about the career of Mama Foley's favourite son, Mick Foley. Ah, yes. (laughs) (laughs) Make sure on that show to pay special mention to the one moment that I can never let go, and that is when Billy Corgan, from one of the best bands of all time, Smashing Pumpkins, re-recorded Butterfly with Broken Wings with lyrics involving six sides of steel cage and i'll never let him ha- i'll love never let him away with it but until then we shall see you guys next week don't forget you can get all of our shows on spotify check out all of our videos on youtube and we'll see you next week for mick foley thanks for listening <laughs>